Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4 to 6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some Blunt Business with your host. And thank you one and all for joining us for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So glad to have you with us. Wherever you find this show, which I know there are so many different places, we are ubiquitous throughout the sphere looking for this program, whether it's through all the major, major companies that are podcast uh, providers, Apple, Amazon, Google, and then we got Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so many other places. Thank you for joining us. My next guest is a successful trial attorney. But we're not going to talk about a lot law on this show. That's a little teaser. He's also a restaurateur, an investor, an entrepreneur, and also serves as general counsel to one of the nation's largest private security companies. But there's so much that this gentleman has to offer for us here. Uh, he is the founding partner and director of communication for six, yes, one, two, three, four, five, six labs. I'm here with Joe Ori. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk about six slabs today here on the program. Not to be confused with six flags. I want to make sure everybody gets a <laughs> distinction here. Uh, you've opened up a four, I can almost do that because you're opening up a forty-five thousand square foot. And if I just said that there, they would think, "Oh, well, it's a, the great adventure." No, I'm just kidding. It's a cultivation lab in Michigan. It's a fully licensed, state-of-the-art pharmaceutical grade facility with a boutique grow operation designed to produce high-quality cannabis and craft batches. Interesting. Now, you said about this, quote, 
Our Cultivation Lab features revolutionary low-energy lighting, a unique air system, and precision practices throughout that produces top-notch cannabis flowers with none of the harmful impurities. So take me through the facility real quick. So, you know, uh, thank you. Uh, you actually were, you, you, you're actually accurate as to where, you know, we, we were headed and where we're at now. Uh, what we kind of, you know, came to the conclusion uh, when we decided to jump into the cannabis space was, you know, we, we looked at it and said, well, you know, we're not, we're not the first people uh, to the table. So what we wanted to do uh, to separate ourselves from our competition uh, was to uh, create a facility. Um, I, I hate to sound, you know, over overstated, but it's it's a facility like no other. Uh, we we toured around the country for about a year, uh, and went to and basically knocked on doors of, of cultivation facilities in California and Colorado, uh, and took some of the good things that we saw and took some of the bad things that we saw, and we said, well, let's try to create a facility that is you know, uh, forward thinking in the sense that, you know, we, we were looking at it that the federal government would probably at some point get involved. And we sort of considered, you know, FDA regulations. And we basically said, you know, let's create a facility that, you know, if the FDA one day does get involved in this and starts placing regulations. Now, Joe, uh, the idea that, was, you know, and I would imagine, oh, they're always trying to look at compliance or uh, just really the regulatory standards. You wanted to always just go above well above well above those standards than even what a state would even offer right now because i mean is it really the thought process that the state standards and even for a state like michigan is that there's it's kind of just the, the lowest denominator and it's always a matter of that it's it's just a better practice to go ahead and place yourself much higher in standards which is why you went through the extra work and i'm guessing a lot of more money and resources to make sure this was so, up, up to so such a spec Yes, we did. That's exactly correct. We, we basically said if the FDA gets involved and, and you know, and if, if, if our cannabis in our facility doesn't pass, then none of our competitors will pass. And, you know, not having the, the knowledge of, of what, you know, that's going to be, we basically said, let's just exceed every expectation. And yes, it was much more expensive. Uh, you know, we could have probably built a facility you know, somewhere in, in the range of six to $8 million. And, you know, we've, we spent well over 11 or 12 million doing it. And, you know, what we have now is, is, is every bit of a pharmaceutical uh, quality, you know, facility. I mean, we, we've had multiple people come through our facility who have been in the cannabis business for many, many years. And we actually have agreements with some of our vendors to you know, actually contractual agreements with some of our vendors to use our facility, uh, you know, as a stage for their, for their pro for their, uh, for their products. And, um, you know, we, we allow people to come through, uh, to take a look at it and, and tour the facility and everyone is just floored when they walk in. And so, and it's actually helped us. I mean, we, we've early on, we've been able to land some, some major, uh, contracts with licensing, uh, deals with companies from California and Colorado, some of the biggest cannabis you know, brands in the United States who are trying to enter the Michigan market have come to our facility, have graded our cannabis. And, and based on that, they have, you know, signed long-term deals for licensing, which were, you know, all just done in the last, you know, 30 or 45 days. So it's been, it, it's a, it, it's a feather in our cap. And, you know, we were hoping to get to this place quickly. And, you know, we were lucky enough that people saw the vision uh, that we did. And it, it seems to be 
the right path. So we're very happy and, you know, we're, we're just getting started, but, you know, we feel very confident that uh, we are headed in the right direction. And let's talk about that, right, that, that direction you're making. Six Labs is also looking forward to becoming the cannabis supply chain partner for of choice for leading brands. And you're looking to launch your own brand that will appeal not only to consumers, but to businesses that need a trusted enabler brand partner. You also said this, quote, we are offering consumers a new vision for the cannabis category, one that is more akin to a high-end beauty brand that focuses on experience rather than a high. We're providing the modern cannabis consumers the power of choice based in science, quote-unquote. Talk to me about the vision and the brand that you're looking to go ahead and make. So, you know, we have actually, we're going to be, we, we slow we slow rolled out everything. And I know that sounds crazy in the cannabis industry, um, but we didn't want to, we, we didn't come out, you know, we've got a large facility, we can produce a lot of cannabis, but we didn't, we didn't want to do that right away. We wanted to, we wanted to make sure our operations were all set before we, we rolled out uh, even our, our wholesale cannabis flower. So we, uh, we tried to perfect our, our systems and get everything ramped up. So we haven't, uh, I know it's going to sound crazy, but we, we are going to roll out six different brands in the next, in Q2 and Q3 of this year. Each brand has a specific sort of place, as we feel in, in the cannabis uh, industry. You know, we have a we have a, a you know just an everyday brand uh, that's going to be called MI6. Um, you know, which is <laughs> your which that. is your just yeah, which is your which is your you know m- you know good quality cannabis that is affordable for you know people who are are on, on a budget. And um, then we have another brand called Candela, uh, which is just a little higher grade up from that. And um, we are we're going to have a wellness brand. Uh, we also have you know an everyday you know an everyday brand called Strollers, which is the concept of you know people who are just you know going to take a walk through the park. And you know we're we're starting to focus on you know the, the old the old concepts of of high high THC and let me get as high as we possibly can. You know we we don't we don't we have that available, but that's not our focus. Uh, we we are doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, research work with 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 Israel. Um, we have a lot of contacts in Israel, and they are at the forefront of research. And what we're finding out is that you know uh, terpene profiles and you know uh, CBD, CBD and, and THC combinations are really where this is headed. We believe um, in in the sense of sensation. So we also have a a sensation based that we're going to be rolling out called Ritual. And we're going to have multiple different co-brands inside of Ritual, um, which will be basically sensation-based. We're, we're trying to focus on sleep aids. We're trying to focus on, uh, you know, anxiety. We're trying to focus on, um, you know, all kinds of different everyday usages uh, for the brand. And then, you know, we obviously are going to have our, our medical-grade um, brand as well. So, you know, we're we're – we're in the stages of doing, um, you know, some research still to sort of perfect what we think, you know, is going to be the future of cannabis. But, you know, as you know, there's, there's so much out there and so much research being done. I mean, I, I recently did a podcast where I think um, the woman who was, uh, was speaking, she's, she's got a company out of California and she, she mentioned, and I haven't verified this, but she said that there's been over, 12,000 clinical studies of cannabis as opposed to, 
you know, pharmaceutical, you know, she, I think she had mentioned that there was only 400 tests done on Ritalin. I remember her saying that before it went to market. And what we have, you know, in cannabis is, is, is so much higher than that. I, I honestly believe that the future, you know, I think that cannabis is ultimately going to be an ingredient. I think it already is headed toward that. And I yeah. think what we're going to find is, you know, the cannabis is going to be, is going to be put into potentially they're going to find usages for in current, you know, pharmaceutical models. And, you know, we won't know where that's going until it's federally legalized until the government, you know, places their stamp on it. Um, but I think that's where it's headed. So, you know, we're excited. I think they're, you know, we're, we're, I'm reading articles that suggest, you know, alcohol sales between certain age groups, you know, in, in you know, 21 to 30 have gone down 25% over the last couple of years. So, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping that, you know, it'll, you know, the cannabis will take off and, and it's more an, of an aspirational wanna, type of <clears throat> product. And Right. Before we go, go to break, I want to just unpack a couple of things that you made of that other answer. So the patients to go ahead and take your time to go and build out what you're going to be doing in terms of facility and in terms of uh, building what you have going forward with your product lines that are coming out. Real quickly, uh, do you have a particular time frame as to when the product will become uh tested and ready for launch yeah so we're like i said we're going to try to we're going to try to launch all six of them within two quarters so okay uh, we're going to start launching uh we're going to start putting you know we have we have about 65 retail partners already that have agreed wow. to put our products on their shelves so we're going to roll out mi6 very soon uh we're actually just trying we're just we, we had a little bit of a an issue with the packaging design, but we would have probably rolled that out uh, this month. But we're, I think we're going to be rolling out uh, MI6 in in March, and then we're going to obviously move next to Candela. And so we're hoping to roll all six brands out by the end of Q3, so that they're all placed on shelves um, by Q4. That's, that's very our goal. Ambitious. I think we're going to meet. It is ambitious, but but you know what though. It is ambitious, but we have been working this for the last 18 months. So, you know, we, it's not like we, you know, it's not like we're just deciding overnight to, to put these brands out. Oh, on the, on no, the, I'm not saying shelf. that, but I'm saying it is just to roll everything out. It's like, okay, if it's ready, it's ready. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I want to go and bring this up. Well, one other thing was, uh, man, we got a great to break next was the fact of how you talked about where, you know, the research Israel is providing to you that you're getting the kind of intel you're getting right now. And I think what it comes down to is just, you know, right now, this year, 2021, we needed the CBD, we needed the CBD uh, part of the industry to kind of weed itself out. I think what needs to happen is we need to identify and finally show the, the real lane that CBD can be in, that it has a space, uh, you know, where it can, it can be the, the crossover, I think, into mainstream, you know, health and beauty or, or uh you know, drugstore products. I think that's where that lies in. And it becomes the gateway into THC products, which you, at this moment, until legalization comes into play, will only be in dispensaries. But I think that's what we have to have it as. But CBD doesn't need to be in the lane of THC. It's like you said, if it's in a combination, that's one thing. But I think that's where things need to go. And I just think there's just so many people that want to be on the market for CBD only because they see the mainstream concept of being able to get the product out to mass production. And I think that's what's going on now. And 
that's fine. But then again, it's like, just don't put a product out just to be putting a product out. And if you want to go ahead and target CBD to a much more hardcore audience that are cannabis consumers, there has to be some THC provided. I agree. I think the, I think the ratios are where it's at. I mean, I've heard a lot of people, you know, the CBD has, you know, has its, its value. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it Absolutely. doesn't. However, we, what we're finding out in, in a lot of the clinical studies that, you know, that CBD ratios to THC are more effective. And that's sort of where we're honing in from a wellness perspective in, in the sense that if you, you know, if you told someone, you know, three years ago, five years ago, you know, hey, well, we've got, you know, a cannabis product that has, only, you know, seven to 10 percent THC, they'd be like, well, I don't want that. You know, everybody wants it in the 20s. Yeah. But when you look and you say, I've got a 10 percent THC, you know, and, you know, in a, in a high in a high CBD count, you know, that seems to be a little bit more effective for what that particular product is aiming to to address. And, and, and it's a it's a very uh, slight you know, psychological effect, but for, and sometimes none, um, you know, but what we're finding is that it's more effective for pain relief in many circumstances. And then obviously we have CBG, which I don't even think that they've unloaded, you know, unleashed the, the value of that. And, you know, there's, I've heard stories, I can't confirm this, but, you know, we, we've heard that, you know, pharmacies, uh, ph- sorry, pharmaceutical companies are buying up CB uh, cannabis that has CBG counts above 5% for six, $7,000 a pound because what they're trying to figure out is how to increase the CBG count in the plant because CBG has clinically proven and through testing to be, to have a similar pain relieving effect as, as um, you know, as some of the, you know, some of the drugs that we, we now know are very addictive. So, well, Big Pharma um, wants to have know, the next big thing. <clears throat> they want to go and just find, yeah. where else can they find another profit margin? Uh, really to increase the profit margin. You know, obviously they're waiting for now a new presidential administration that'll hopefully bring in some kind of universal health care uh, or some ways, ways to, so that those companies can start then jacking up their prices again. But then if they're also offering other products, so they can go and say CBD, they're going to welcome that into the fold, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah, exactly. We, they, they know that the opioids you know, are, are a thing of the past and, and they should be, um, you know, I, I had my own personal challenge with it. I was, you know, I was in college and playing wow. football and had back surgery and I was, you know, this is back in the date myself, but I was back in 1989, 1990, 91. And, you know, we didn't know what opioids did. And I was one of the lucky ones. I was, I was 20 years old, 21 years old in college getting, you know, 40 pill prescriptions of, of Oxycontin for back surgery. And I was taking it and I, I felt very sick on it and I, I just stopped taking it because I didn't feel well. And unfortunately other people take it and they get a, an incredible high from it. I, I was just lucky because I had it so available to me back then that I literally could have called my neurosurgeon up on the phone and said, I need a prescription, you know, and, and uh, you know, cannabis was a, was a supplement to that, that I found was pain relieving, just, you know, buying it in the black market. And now what we have is, actual real science and clinical studies being done. And I think what we're headed toward is, is exactly what you said. The, the pharmacies are going to find the next big thing. And once they prove that this is effective and the government puts a stamp on it, and I think once the federal government does that, you know, then, then the, the jaded past of cannabis will completely be, you know, uh, exonerated and, 
you know, we'll move toward the future. Oh, the gateway will be open. FDA will start approving more CBD-based products uh, included into the ingredients of some formulation. I can just see that happening sometime down the line. Let's go to a break real quick, Joe. we got to go to that because, obviously, I produce shows, and I'm just breaking my own rules by just letting the time go by. I'm here with Joe Ori, the founding partner, director of communications for Six Labs, SIX, and we'll be back with more questions. We're going to talk about the Michigan industry as a whole and take a glance at it and what's been happening now after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Joe Ori, co-founder of Six Labs here on Blunt Business. We're talking about Michigan's cannabis industry. Let's talk about what's happened over the last six months. Leafly actually put a really comprehensive report about that, about cannabis sales. They're hitting a peak in July 2020 and begin trending downward. They're asking, what's going on? After the state's opening of first adult use stores in 2019, adult use and medical sales combined for $35 million in revenue in January 2020. By July, it was up to nearly $110 million in combined monthly sales. Then combined medical and adult use sales hit $92 million in November 2020 and were buying it, broke the $100 million mark in December. So again, a significant drop-off. And what do you yeah. see about the sales roller coaster? What's going on? As you're entering this market now, as you say, and hopefully in a couple of quarters, you should have your product line in there. Um, what's your outlook of the market going in? Well, uh, I have a lot to say about this. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, that this was actually one of your choices for a subject because uh, as a founder and general counsel, um, you know, I, I look into, uh, obviously what's going on in the market and, and, and from a legal perspective. And, you know, I read the Leafly article when it came out and I, I will give some credit to the author. Uh, but unfortunately, I think the author should have done one thing differently and they should have looked at this one statistic that I think defines the entire problem. And, and I think you'll agree with me because it's indisputable. So the author, you know, as you know, she she cited, you know, COVID as a reason possibly for, mm -hmm. you know, people not having, you know, their stimulus checks and whatnot and poor product lineups and competition from unlicensed growers, uh, the caregiver market. And I think if you really look at this one statistic, this is the only thing you need to look at. And we found this uh, because we're very interested in what is going on and I'll, I'll tell you this, the price compression that occurred in the last three months is unprecedented in any cannabis market in the United States. And when I say this, I'm talking about uh, from, I believe, September to uh, September, October to now, uh, the price of can per pound of cannabis went from 3,000 in Michigan, went from 3,000 a pound to, uh, for wholesale to about 1,500 a pound. And then that's unprecedented. Now we've seen those shifts occur in Oregon, we've seen them in Colorado, but never in a few months. 
and we know because we have our, our thumb on the pulse of of what's you know, growers in, in Michigan. It's not because so many new growers came online in that period. That would be preposterous. But this is the stat that tells the tale. In Colorado, in 2020, they did $2 billion in sales. And they did that $2 billion in sales with 6.8 million plants. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are recorded. They're, they're available. Those, that information is available on the internet. In Michigan, in the same time period, they did almost 1 billion in sales with 2.8 million plants. Now, if you look at those numbers, okay, you're talking about a, a difference of a, a delta of about almost, almost 2 million plant difference for half of the, half of the production. So if you say 2 billion in sales in Colorado with six, with, 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 with almost 7 million plants, and a billion in sales in Michigan with 2.8 million, what, ha- what is happening is this. The only thing that could be happening is that caregiver or black market cannabis is entering the legal market. Because if you have a billion dollars in sales and the plant count is 2.8, even if you factor in and say, well, you know, maybe, maybe Michigan is growing bigger plants with more, with more weight on them. Even if you say you give a half a pound of weight to each one of those 2.8 million plants, it still doesn't. It still doesn't. It still doesn't jive. I mean, there's a, so I mean, there's a lot I of factors think, in that realm that I can understand. Where California still has a good third to uh, what is about 40 percent of still illicit market sales that are dealing with over there, and that's been a lot of points of that. Plus, Michigan being so close to Canada, I can see a lot of products being exported in illegally, more or less, in the same sense. I can see where those kind of things come into play. Uh, but now the one thing I was going to say too, and sorry to cut you off, is when it comes to the media, you know, I only took the sales that she actually quoted, but I saw the rest of the factors. I don't want to look at that because honestly, it's opinion and speculation, and that's okay. She wanted to back up with what she said, and and totally, Marjorie uh, Steele, you know, I appreciate you making the, the the points. I did quote the article, but what I did want to say too is that. You know, it's my skepticism of just not just media, but government. They're both in the same now these days to me. But, um, you know, it's, you know, there are the other like factors. But like, let's point on the on the true factors, not the ones that are just speculatory. Well, here, here's I mean, like I said, so Michigan had Michigan. The, the one the one thing that Marjorie did hit on and and she's correct is that you know, what happened in Michigan is unlike pretty much any other, any other uh, state that legalized. You know, they had, what, 30,000 caregiver licenses. And the caregivers, you know, were the main, were the main providers of cannabis. And what, where this problem exists is the fact that whoever created this regulation back in the day when this was first created around 2008, 2007, where you give a caregiver the ability to grow 72 plants for five patients. I mean, that doesn't make any sense because 72 plants, you know, could potentially reach about a million dollars in retail sales for the year if you do it right. How is it possible that five patients could consume that much cannabis? And those caregivers are still allowed to produce that much cannabis and still can still can sell to their five patients. You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Savevesting, 
and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4-6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today. And that number is, is what creates this illicit market because the caregivers had relationships with many of, of these, of these people who were running these, these, you know, uh, retail sales stores in Michigan before the new legal market came. And they're not, there's too many licenses to, for the government to police it. And so because of that, that, you know, and they're still allowing 72 plants to be grown. It's almost impossible to, 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 to enforce where that cannabis ends up and you are correct and we did our research over the last six months there have been there was a 1700 percent increase in in um in uh cannabis uh confiscation at the border in colorado from from canada into michigan uh and you know we're talking about thousands tens of thousands of pounds and, and we've learned surprisingly that you know as an attorney i, I was shocked to find this out that the, 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 the perpetrators were were only fined five thousand dollars a ton for bringing it in, and they were not arrested. They were sent back to Canada, and they were barred from ever entering the United States again. That was the penalty. So, you know, while I do believe that decriminalization has to occur with cannabis, and I don't believe that, you know, and I and I'm, we're here in Illinois, where we've got more licenses pending, and you know, we have a huge social equity movement to to bring cannabis into you know, uh, and, and make it available to own for ownership for people who've been unfairly prosecuted for cannabis over the years. I think all that's great. However, well, we do need more than more chance. than just decriminalization. Is that whatever happens? If decriminalization is the uh, the plan of the federal government to go forward with, obviously with something like the Moore Act as opposed to the States Act, then where's the incorporation of some kind of interstate commerce? or some also just some economic regulation so that banks will also start working with the industry as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I'm, the article in Leafly was correct. I mean, I do believe those are contributing factors, everything, but it, at the end of the day, it's a very difficult thing to, to cure um, in the sense that, you know, it is, you know, decriminalized in the sense that there's not very many cannabis busts being taken on in any state that has legalization, but at some point in time, you know, you know, you're looking at, can at Canada and you're saying, okay, was well, federal legalization going to do it for us? Because in Canada, it's been legal and they're still at a two to one black market to, to, to legalize market ratio. And, you know, they have an abundance because here's the, here's the caveat. The cannabis that was confiscated on the Canadian border was high grade commercial quality. It was all packaged. There were edibles. There were vape cartridges, all seemingly being created by legal entities in Canada. And they have an over, they have an oversupply. So what are they doing? Well, the only place they can get rid of it is the United States. Now, maybe that will curb once the federal legalization occurs, but, but we're talking, we're not talking black market cannabis entering the United States. It, it, it's entering as black market when, when it gets here, but I think it's being created in the commercial space, uh, in, in, in Canada and wow. they have just an oversupply. And they're bringing it in the United States because we'll be, I've read about these confiscations, wow. and you know they were they were high quality commercial grade cannabis. So you when you when you factor that in, how do you compete? 
Well, you know, but, but, but again, that's the fault of the Canadian government. They put, they've put they made it so strict on all the times we talk about it here on Blunt Business. The issues they go through, the fact that it's only there's only so much they can export, which is also the other thing where Canada had to become the import-export of the world just to try to go and keep up with the supply and demand. So I can understand these Canadian companies going through what they're trying to do. I can, I can, I can, I can sympathize. But the government up there... That's the other problem we have to deal with is that, you know, what's going to happen when we're able to go and supply and cultivate and harvest so much flour that we need to be able to go and put it somewhere to sell. So, you know, and and I want to get back to one thing. And again, I do not want to pile on Marjorie Steele for this article. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. So she gave us a good talking point. And I would love to invite her on the program. I know she's based in Michigan. She's talked a lot about this. I, I throw the, the welcome out there to Leafly and let Marjorie come on the program. I would love to give her 30 minutes of time to talk about this. But the only thing that does trigger me when I read the article was, could Michigan's cannabis industry bubble be popping already? Like, that's just, you're just going to trigger me. That's all you're going to do with doing that. And I only imagine what stockholders and investors look at that and they say, oh, we're going to get out of this. They're just, it's just scaring people. And I don't want to fear monger anybody. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to fear monger. I, I, I want, like I said, I, I, I want to qualify. Marjorie was right. correct in, 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 you know, in, in what she came up with. And, and I think what, what really, what startles me about it, and I and I think if Marjorie actually looked at the stat that I gave you, she'd have to say to herself something's going on to see what what it what it is is, it, it's the difference between a black market and a gray market, because if you're if if, if Michigan is is producing only 2.8 million plants to get to a to get to a billion dollars in sales, that means it has to mean that some cannabis is entering the storefront of retailers who are selling it. And they're passing it through metric without anybody knowing. And and I and, and here's the thing: Michigan doesn't have an enforcement agency yet. Okay, so there's there's been no you know there's been no bust. There's been no we had we we were told in the beginning that you know we were going to have you know people coming by and you know audits and random stop by. Now I've checked with with all the with with many of the legal you know growers, the large cultivators in Michigan. No one has seen anybody. And, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping because we're doing everything legal. We, we follow everything by the book. And that's the scary part is that, you know, we, we don't want to be at an unfair competitive level with our, with people because we're following the rules. And, you know, it, it is, it is, it is, is a precarious situation that Michigan, you know, and I don't even know if, if, you know, uh, if enforcement really is going to do it in the sense that, you know, but they're going to really catch all the perpetrators who are doing things the wrong way. But, you know, when you're talking about all of these retailers that are coming online, all of these growers that are coming online, and some of these growers and, 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 and retailers have been in Michigan for years, and they, they know the landscape, and they know what they can get away with and what they can't. I just can't look at that number, and you know, those numbers and say, you know, how, how could – you know, you, you almost have 7 million plants in, in Colorado to get to 2 billion in sales and, and yeah. not even half of that to get to 1 billion, now, not even close to half of that to get to 1 billion. One more thing I want to bring from the article here. And again, we're just giving time for it. <clears throat> they went on to ask, why aren't Michiganders buying as much from licensed stores and dispensaries and where are they getting their product? Which, which you mentioned before, you know, we, we were kind of just talking about that just now. So here's what was explained here. As always with Michigan's historically turbid relationship, quote, with regulated cannabis is complicated. In the end, 
They're saying that consumer sales trends indicate that many cannabis consumers left the regulated market last year to grow their own, a trend which arguably reflects Michigan's cultural traits of self-sufficiency and self-determination. Do you think that, uh, how, how, do you, how do you think that holds water? Well, I mean, I, I would say that that would have been speculation, except for, you know, Marjorie pointed out that, you know, that, that, that uh, you know, people in the supply chain for, you know, for the ingredients, you know, for, for what you need to grow your own cannabis have increased. I mean, it, it, it's probably a culmination of a lot of those things because, you know, because the, the, the demand for it is even greater than it was. So. I, I believe, like I said, but did COVID have something to do with it? Sure, it did. I mean, people not getting their stimulus checks. But, you know, it, if you're talking about that happening in July where it starts to go down, you know, we were already well into the pandemic and, and the, you know, lots of people were unemployed and they were still buying cannabis. And here's the thing. People are still buying cannabis. And what we know is, is that, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 it has a lot to do, you know, and also I will say this, too. You know, because we 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 felt this was an an avenue for us to get in. You know, with our with our product lineup, is that you go through and I wrote an article on this. You know, we I go to California and go to to a, to a dispensary. It's unbelievable. It's like it's like, it is like Six Flags. It's like it's like Kitty Land. It's like it's like a it's it's you you got more products on the shelves than you know what to do with. Yeah. You go into the average Michigan dispensary and you don't you don't see that. And you know, I've gone into Michigan dispensaries where there's only two lines of edibles available and wow. you know you go in you, you know you you go into a dispensary in in any part of california you know you you need an encyclopedia you know to to know what you're looking at so it, it is partly that as well and you know i think michigan did the right thing with taxation i mean their taxation isn't as bad i mean we're looking at people who drive from illinois where it's recreationally legal to go over to the border i have some friends in michigan who own you know, who, who own a, a dispensary right over the border. And, and they're, they're getting tons of people driving in from Chicago to go to their dispensary to save the, what is it, 20 something percent difference on the taxes. But at the end of the day, when you start to see this precipitous fall, it has to be more because of some level of, of, of black market into gray market problem in Michigan. And here's the thing. If, if you're if you're looking at it and you're saying, wow, there's really no one going to come by and check us out. Let's see how long we can do this before they do it. So, you know, Michigan, I know it's a new and it's a new economy. It's a new it's a new system in Michigan. And I'm not I'm not downing the state. I think they, they just need to get moving here on enforcement. Yeah. And, no, by the way, I would and, love you know, I, would, I would love Leafly to do a study if they ever get the chance to on how often dispensaries are. How, how often dispensaries on borders of other states, how well they perform as opposed to others like in metropolitan cities, I can imagine it would either be comparable or some of these dispensaries would do better. Like, for instance, in New Jersey, once those adult well uh, treatment centers are opened up, I can imagine the kind of influx from New York City is going to be coming in for product there or even from Philadelphia, for that matter. I can just only imagine. Uh, oh, but, yeah. So uh, I want to just make one thing that, again, as we talk about this article from Leafly, you know, it's it's a well 
it's well researched. What I will say is the the blame, if I'm going to put on anybody, the fing, the finger pointing for me is always going to go to government because they could have stopped some of this from Canada to the marijuana uh, marijuana regulatory agency in Michigan. There's some again with price compression with some issues where the tightening of, of just making sure whatever kind of again it, fine get your tax money please the, you need to go and, we need to go and give back to the community make sure that money is well spent absolutely but then again please you know if you're going to do something about this that Michigan needs to have the room to go and continue to go and grow sales and that's where government you know doesn't really work with the economy it doesn't really uh, mix well yeah yeah I mean like I said I don't know about you but. You know, I, I was shocked to see that the only penalty for bringing in these massive shipments of, of cannabis from Canada was a 5000 per ton fine, and no one was arrested. You know, I mean, when you look at that, I mean, I, it, you know, this is over, you know, this, you know, this is under the Trump administration, and this is July to December where these busts were made. And, you know, these, pe- these people, these perpetrators are bringing in truckloads and you know 1700 percent increase at the michigan to canada border and no one was arrested and they were just sent back to canada so what so what was what what's what what deterrent is there at this point you know um and here's the thing that's really you know unfortunate about it is that you know we border we border another country michigan borders another country just like you know back in the days when every when mexico was moving everything through arizona you know, it, it just, that's where it exists and they find their lanes and they go through and, you know, just to see that happening though. And, and like I said, the one thing that was startling to me was to, to hear, you know, the, the author of the article say that this was high grade commercial, you know, cannabis. So it's like, you know, now you're, now you're talking about that type of black market cannabis entering, entering the space where, you know, the, the, the consumer is like, okay, well, this is the same quality that I'm going to get in the United States, no taxation. Yeah. And they're probably selling it, you know, at the same price as a as, as a black market, you know, uh, uh, person who's growing cannabis in their in, in their in their basement and selling it to the consumer. So, so it's, have to, uh, have yeah, to keep it, the watch alive between Detroit and Windsor, I would imagine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm I so, jar- so sorry, Joe. We got to go ourselves through another commercial break. Well, let's go. Uh, I want to go and let you wrap up the point coming up on the other side, and then after the break, I want to talk about that marijuana regulatory agency talking about some other fraudulent activity going on that everybody should be aware of. And again, great conversation here with Joe Ori, co-founder of Six Labs here on Blunt Business. Back after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 gardens garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. 
We're back with Joseph Ori, co-founder of Six Labs here on Blunt Business. Uh, real quickly, I know you were making a point uh, to follow up of the issues with the illicit market where there's a lot of product from Canada that is making their way across the border. Oh, go ahead and wrap up the point you were going to make before. I was just going to say that, you know, it, it's like I said, I mean, the, the, the real issue is, is black market cannabis entering, you know, Michigan. And then where it's going is another issue. So, you know, obviously it, I would, I would say speculate. And I, and I know you said, you know, we can't speculate, but I would say that if, if all that black market cannabis that's entering through Canada stayed in Michigan, there would be no, there would be no legal industry. So it, it's not all staying there. It's spreading out. And, you know, we, we have, you know, to touch on your point about bordering states, I mean, Michigan has unique, you know, uniquely that it, it borders a state that, you know, I don't think will be legal. It'll probably be the last state if it ever becomes legal is Indiana. So yeah. it's a very good, it's a very good port to bring the cannabis in. So, you know, you, you, you get through Michigan and, you know, the robust demand that there is in Michigan, and then you obviously can move it through Indiana where, like I said, you mentioned, you know, there's, I have some friends who actually own dispensaries in Buchanan, uh, Michigan, which is borders Indiana. They, they, they get half or more than half of their, their business comes from Indiana. So if you, if you look at that, it's, it's a great pathway for, for uh, black market cannabis to be entering into the market. And, you know, as I said before, coupled with, you know, the caregiver issue that, that Drew pointed out, and she, she did kind of touch on it, if I remember, saying, you know, those relationships and pipelines, I think she called them, you know, still exist. And what I think she was, was, was referring to is that the caregivers who were selling to dispensaries up until a few months ago, they were allowed to sell to dispensaries. They still have those relationships. And if they don't feel that anybody is watching them, you know, it, and, and here's the thing. I mean, is it, is it testing? I mean, you know, there, uh, there's another thing I don't know if you know, but. I think there's been four explosions, house explosions, in the last six months oh, boy. in Michigan from hydrocarbon extraction. And, you know, this is so there are not only caregivers who are providing product into the into the legal market, but they're actually going as far as using their garage, you know, or house as a hydrocarbon extraction lab. And we know how combustible that can be if you don't know what you're doing. And I, I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe there was one death involved in this. So, you know, these are the things that, you know, are happening. And, and yet, you know, if you talk to legislators and you talk to, you know, uh, uh, officials, they, there hasn't been a, a, a cannabis bust in Michigan for anyone in Michigan, you know, in three years. Well, so, let's, let's go know, ahead and put we, Michigan on the map. This regulatory agency, we're going to put this on the map again. We're going to go ahead and call this out because, you know, it's just it that this needs to be publicized for those that might not be aware. Not only what you're talking about right here. Let's give another story that also should agitate all of you that working in Michigan, trying to go ahead and make a good living there in the industry. MJ Biz Daily recently reported that Michigan's marijuana regulatory agency is warning local cannabis companies that fraudsters are masquerading as regulators and industry executives in a bid to trick employees into sending money or security information about their businesses. And one business lost more than $100,000 because of the scam, and the MRI noted it in a bulletin. In that case, an individual impersonating a business owner requested the employee to transfer the funds to an associate. 
put your legal hat on. What in the hell's going on here? Well, you know, I have to tell you this. Um, when I saw that question, uh, I I called one of my partners up, and I the only thing that was different about the the that uh, what you just posed was that there was over a hundred thousand dollars stolen because uh, we actually I thought it was us. Um, but we didn't have anything stolen because we caught it and we did oh. report it to the MRA. Oh my so God. you're not going to believe this. So we actually had, I know exactly what they did because they did it to us. So they did two things to us. They, they, somebody hacked into our computer system and this is one occasion and they were able to retrieve our, our American Express Six Labs business account. And what they did was oh. is they opened up they, they used our account and they opened up two bank accounts with Chase Bank and linked them to our, our six labs account and tried to, uh, they, they were actually charging, not, they weren't charging. They were trying to do a reverse payment from, from, from there to get reimbursed from, uh, from payments that we made to American Express. Oh man! And then on and then on another occasion, we received an invoice from one of our actual vendors, and we had a thirty-day payment plan. Uh, Thirty, uh, not payment plan. We had thirty days to pay the bill. Right. And we received an invoice via email that appeared to be from the vendor, and they said, "We can't wait for our money. You need to pay us right now." And luckily, our CFO, uh, who's you know who's very attentive to these details, you know, was like, was suspicious and said, why, "Why would these guys be changing their gears right now and demanding payment when you know that never happened?" So we literally contacted the vendor and said, mm -hmm. "Hey guys, what, what's the deal? Why, why do you want your money right now?" And they said, "What are you talking about? We never sent you that email." Oh and man! We were, yeah, wow. they were so they were trying to get like a a 10 or $12,000 payment. And we had just gotten billed for it. And, you know, obviously remit in 30 days and they, they were asking for the money immediately. And I, so they, they're, I think all this starts at least from our perspective, I don't know about the hundred thousand dollar scam that you're reporting on how that went down, but I would have to suggest that it has to be with email because they're hacking into the email and they see you have, you know, you've made it, you've made it an exchange. They see the, the, the vendor, they create their own, they create their own invoice, make it look like it's from the vendor and say, Hey, pay us right now. We need our money thinking that you'll just say, oh, you know, you'll get nervous and say, well, I don't want to. And, and we almost did it. We almost did it. But uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's more of a widespread problem in industry than just a cannabis problem. Okay. Uh, but I would have to suggest that, you know, this was, because what else, I don't think there's anything else that's done anymore that's not done digitally, right? So this $100,000 scam had to be, in my, in my opinion, had to be a, had to be a, a hacker who got into the, who that's hacked crazy. into the computer. Right. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So now, yeah, we have, a, we have a strict rule in our company now that we verify every single bill we get and we call the, the vendor up go. and make sure that that's, yep. Well, you have no choice. So, so we're just going to wrap things up again. So six labs is six, the number six S I X spelled out S I X labs.com or six. So be S I X hyphen labs.com. Want to make sure I get that cleared away. Uh, so people can go to the website, take a look at what you're doing and um, just, 
take people real quickly to the website and just let people know where when they can find out more information about the product line will be upcoming and what other things they might be going working on and you know any places that, in social media that people can follow you on uh take yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, yeah i'm uh personally i'm joseph Ori. uh uh i'm joseph Ori on linkedin as well as twitter and i have my own i have my own web page josephory.com and we also you can also find more information out at, at six labscom uh, We post a lot of uh, a lot of content. I usually put out at least an article or two every month. And um, you know we're gonna, like I said, we'll have our uh, our product lineup uh, posted in probably a few weeks. And anyone who's interested mm-hmm. can certainly find out more about what we're doing by going to the website. So there we go, Joseph Ori again, uh, co-founder of six labs make sure when you're looking for the website you spell out the number six s-i-x hyphen yeah, labs yeah com, it's actually you know. it's actually that it with six because there were six founding partners but it's actually psi si and then x which is why the x is in italics because psi si is the universal sign of measurement oh. so we felt like you know we would have a scientific spin on it and it just worked out that you know that's where we went with the six founders and then psi with the x so Oh, nice. That was pretty clever. Quirky. Uh, very curious uh, thing to do. So, Joe, thanks for being with us here on Blunt Business. Thank you, listeners, for joining us right now. We're completely out of time. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4 to 6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.